This is the one with enemies at the gate. Statler and Waldorf. Warp drive. A rapidly shrinking micro-universe. And some faint-hearted, do-nothing, lily-livered deadweights. It's called Warrior's Gate. Here we go. <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Talon, Oot, and the Cybertronic race. Tontarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Well, hello there, beautiful people in podcast land. Welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. <laughs> Indeed, or, or Doc Past. Uh, slightly distracted because the visual I had was Leon rubbing his nipples as he said that. That's <laughs> anyway. right. Well, actually, wait. No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> as you may have guessed, um, yes, that voice over there was from Leon. Hello, Leon. Hello, Jim. Hello, Podcast Land. Yes, I'm Jim. Yes, thank you for um, for identifying me. <laughs> um, hello, Podcast Land. How are we doing? I hope you are all snug and cozy or... <laughs> I don't know, stomping around and enjoying listening on the move. Whatever you're doing, it's it's Jesus, great. You're yeah. just perving on everyone tonight, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and holy moly, we're only just here to talk to you about C114 Warriors Gate. That's right. Not to be confused with the lesser-known Warriors Gate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are uh, yeah. multiple warriors that in this gate, apparently. <laughs> yeah, let's put a pin in that, because that might feature in one of my myriad introductory questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get into pin territory, uh, shall we top level, you know, how did you feel? Liked it? Loved it? Bit on the fence? I think... <laughs> I... I can understand why people might dislike this, but I think I liked it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> understand the sentiment. Yeah. I also think I liked it. Oh, I nice. Think, yeah. I, I think I managed to see some stuff in here that may not have been fully delivered, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. But I can also get why people might oh, go. <laughs> I was almost 100% sure that you were going to hate the crap out of this and that we were once again going to be <laughs> dual, <laughs> going to be dueling, you know. Uh, about the honour of the serial in question. Well, we we will see. Time could unravel in a different way. But oh, so true. far, I think we're both kind of like, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's not amazing, but it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. So. How about, before we get into that big meaty chunk of uh, dissection, we just give a little summary, really, of uh, what the hell happened in yeah. this serial? Or at least just the starting bit. Some kind of bite-sized chunk of who oh, here? Yeah, let's chunk it up! <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lovify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? The fourth Doctor, Romana, and K9, and some brat named Adric are still making their way through e-space, when a wobble of some sort pulls them into a micro-universe between E and N, probably somewhere around I. It turns out humanity learned nothing from its past in the far-flung future and returned to its horrible slave-trading ways, this time dealing in time-sensitive quarrels. The slave navigator of one ship wobbled said wobble and pulled both the human vessel and the TARDIS into the spatial equivalent of No Man's Land. 
hand. The lion-ish shaped thurls can be plugged into human spaceships to enable them for time travel. But when the navigator flies the coop, the slavers are in the market for a new temporal compass, even if she's an unsuspecting time lady. Good thing the micro-universe was once coincidentally the Tharal domain, and how serendipitous that they might just lead Doc and Co back home. Bisco, over. You are welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? Oh, yes, that's so well. <laughs> Do you have a particular point you want to start, Mr. Leon? I mean, I have so many questions. So many, uh, possibly a record amount of introductory questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shall we just start from the top? If we start at the top, we would also coincidentally be starting with the one that we put a pin in very, uh, very recently. A uh, rudimentary question for you. Who are these warriors? Who are, in fact, who is a warrior? I mean, the only thing I saw were the robots. But right. it's not really their gate. So. It's not their gate. This is called Warrior's Gate. There is nary a warrior in it. Also, would like to point out yeah. more than one gate. Yeah. Okay. So why is it not called <laughs> the Lion's Gates? Or, <laughs> or, you know, the people who are not warriors' gates. You know what I'm getting at. <laughs> <laughs> Titles be hard. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's um, mostly a nonsense name, I think. <laughs> okay, it, fair, check. <laughs> do you want to ping pong some questions? Uh, oh, I can do. Okay, my question to you. How lovely was the opening shot of just sort of crawling around creepy fashion? Do, do you recall how the first episode opened? Uh, no. How does the first episode open? Oh, you mean, oh, inside, oh, yes, of course, inside the slave ship is that what you mean yeah so we, we yeah we start with the i guess they're kind of like cryogenically frozen are they the tharals yeah something like that yeah. i mean it's it's a it, we need to get into that as well because i don't really understand that but i love it yes uh, absolutely that intro is fantastic it seems as though it's abandoned there's weird graffiti on the wall which we also need to talk yeah. about that there's there are people <laughs> possibly on ice or they're on life support of some kind it seems as though there's no one around and then it turns out there's a whole crew the atmosphere on that ship is tremendous. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, I think um, I think the only negative for me was that it wasn't a derelict. Like the, the the opening bit where it's like these bodies. There's no one in the hallways. There's yeah, like you said, there's like graffiti on the walls, and then you just get two blokes having a cup of tea. It's like, what yeah, isn't that like? great? <laughs> like subverting uh, expectations. I I really enjoyed that. I gotta say, I think we've had like a number of serials where people are on ice. You know, people are in either cryostasis or they're in you know the equivalent of long-haul space travel where they go to sleep or whatever, uh, and the Doc and Co. stumble upon them. So it's nice that there's something else here. And the fact that it is so incredibly quiet aboard the ship, but there's a whole crew and they're all incredibly disillusioned, it changes your mindset about the the antagonists, practically, like from the get-go. I, I was very impressed by that. Okay, a different take. Yeah, okay. What is your take of the on the graffiti? Because among other things, it says Kilroy was here. And Kilroy is a member of the crew. Oh, is he? Ah, I believe okay. so. I believe uh, Kilroy is one of the dudes. To be honest, I gave it no thought after seeing it and then realizing that it wasn't derelict. It was like full of people who were still operating this ship, yeah. um, which I, sh I should have thought about it and gone, why the fuck have they just graffitied inside their own ship? <laughs> <laughs> I, like it, the, the fact that there's graffiti there makes it seem as though they've 
lost all hope. Yeah, it kind of kind of gives that impression, but I don't know if that plays out with anything else. Yeah, I'm just I'm not buying that the graffiti is making a statement beyond the fact that they put graffiti in. I don't maybe it is just for that opening scene to make you think something and then they subvert it like um like you felt and it worked and I, I felt it didn't work. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm looking at the the cast list now and I'm not seeing a Kilroy. I I swear I saw a Kilroy in there somewhere. I'm going to IMDb. I genuinely could not tell you the name of any of the humans in this. <laughs> There's no Kilroy. Is Kilroy was here? I mean, I I recognize that as a Kilroy was here. Yeah, here we go. Kilroy was here. I recognize that as some sort of ass thingy. Oh, it's a warp thing. Kilroy was here was uh, was an American symbol that became popular during World War Two, typically seen in graffiti. Okay. There's not someone credited, at least not according to Wikipedia. Okay. But looking in the transcript, so Birok, who is like the first lion guy, yeah, he's one of the ones that carries Birok while he escapes. Boom! Or like when he escapes. I knew I'd seen yeah. this. It is in the transcript. I must have seen it. Thank you very much. You vindicated me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so some dude is just like graffitied his home. <laughs> yeah. What an arsehole. <laughs> Like, I, I now live in a city that is, like, covered in graffiti, and there are negatives and pluses to that, sure. um, the, way, the way it's treated. Like, it can be artistic, it can be statements, it can be just boredom. I think, for the most part, you know, the stuff in Berlin is in the former two categories, and not the latter. But are we to assume that, yeah, Kilroy's just graffitied out of boredom, and is... everyone's just okay with it? Or, like, like why is it still there? So like, there's a dude named Kilroy, he considers himself-ish a soldier, or maybe as though living through some kind of, you know, mid or possibly post-war scenario. He's aware of the Kilroy was here, like the historical Kilroy was here graffiti. And he goes, hey, I just thought of something. That's my name. <laughs> then he tags his own place. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I, I don't know. I don't know. It is pretty cool, though. And I think it also hammers home the hopelessness, which you're absolutely right, is then never picked back up. Yeah. Okay. So that was one of my questions. What was your next question? Okay, my question. <laughs> my, my turn. My turn. My turn. What is the deal with the coin toss? On a number uh, of occasions, someone... they make a big deal out of tossing a coin. And there's even um, a set of scenes, linked scenes, with Adric tossing a coin at the same time as someone elsewhere somewhere is tossing a coin. Yes. This, I must say, struck me as someone has just read about, I think it's the I Ching that is mentioned. Yeah. Which leads on to the, which I don't really know anything about, to be honest. I think no. it's referenced in um, His Dark Materials as well. Oh, really? When... I've heard of I Ching, but I, I don't know what it is. Is it I Ching, not I Ching? Okay. Uh, I, mean, um, I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Sorry. But I'm guessing it's something to do with, like, fates and... Sure. Uh, divination, this kind of thing. And yeah, because that's the thing that leads directly onto tossing a coin is a way for determining decisions and state. But you're right, that theme then seems to run through the rest of the serial for some reason. Yeah, which is really odd to me because does this seem to you like a serial about fatalism? It certainly does not to me. I don't... <sighs> I think they try and sort... Because they're playing around with time. I think yeah. the only scene that comes to mind is when... I think it's the end of episode three. And I, I do not understand how this happens. But like Doc and Romana are in the sort of past time. Yeah. And at the point where the robots from the slaves about to gatecrash the party of the masters, the Ven masters... Yeah. Cut to present day. Yeah. And Romana basically goes and taps Doc on the shoulder and somehow they come catapulting to present day. I mean, this is something that conceptually I really enjoyed. That There are a couple of references, or at least one reference by the main lion chap, whatever his name is, about 
how all three gates exist at once. So these three gates are the source of the same gate in three different time periods. Which, by the way, does not tally with the exterior because they look very much like three very different gates to me. (laughs) But the interior is the same hall in three different times. It's never really explained, but... Yeah, there are three different gates, aren't there? I I, I felt like we only really saw two time periods, like the present and the past. Oh, I, uh, I think you're probably right. Wait, is it... Uh, are you? Yes. Yes, you are probably right, but from the outside we see three different gates. So what, what are you counting as a gate? Because uh, we, FYI, uh, podcast land, I, I did make a statement to Leon before we start recording that I fully expect at multiple points during our recording to say, I didn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I, I can't guarantee that I've understood this either. But, all right, okay, so here's the thing. So the gates, first off, they are gates in the sense that they are, and this is also something that we <laughs> kind of ish figured out before pressing record. The gates are gateways between these two universes. This is like a little pocket universe that sits in the middle, and inside this pocket universe live the Tharl or live to the Tharl. But regardless, the gate is basically the whole place, because it is what transports you from one universe to the other, but inside the gate is a little castle, or it's at least a hall, Mm. and... From the outside, while we are in in this pocket universe, we get to see three distinct gates, three different kinds of gates. They basically look like the remnants, the ruins of a castle, of castle front doors. It's a beautiful shot, like a beautiful panning shot of these three gates and then the TARDIS in this white void. Like they're recording last week tonight in there, if you pan a little bit further to the right. So there are three different gate exteriors. The interiors are the same place and they lead into end space. And since we get to see the funky castle, actually, boom, there you go. We get to see the castle, the black and white castle grounds. Yeah. I bet you that's the third gate. That's the third time. That's like a time before uh, robots show up and kill everyone. And certainly before even they have just gathered dust and cobwebs and turned all, you know, decrepit and non-functional. I think those are the three gates. Those are the three, like, iterations of this castle. Did I answer the question? I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> so are you saying... So the structure, the, the physical structure that looks like a gate, mm-hmm. are you saying there were three of those? Or yes. are you saying, like, there's that gate? Okay. Do you remember there was this absolutely gorgeous panning shot across the white voids where you get to see three mm-hmm. different... Three different gates. I mean, I recall them looking like completely different buildings, but I guess maybe they are the same building in different states of disrepair. And then it pans a little bit further to the right and there's the TARDIS. It's a gorgeous shot. Anywho. I missed that. I I saw a gorgeous shot and I think it was like one of the gates... The, the trader ship and then the TARDIS. Oh, right. Yeah, it, that's that's towards the end when uh, the slave traders decide to use their jet engines, their warp engines to blast the shit out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. I, damn. I, I must have missed the earlier one. Damn. I was writing too many notes. There's so many notes I had to write. <laughs> there are, there's a lot to write down in this one. Anywho, I think it's your turn for a question. Let's hear it. This is probably an easier one I could have looked up myself, but warp drive. Ah. Do we not get, get that in the Hooniverse? Is this a, a slightly random thing to be talking about? I don't know that we've ever had it in the Hooniverse before. That's a really good question. I'm going to look it up. Because, I mean, the automatic association is Star Trek, isn't it? Mm. I'm going to look it like up. A hundred. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm I'm going to search on TARDIS Wikia. Never p- to be referred to as TARDIS fandom. <laughs> Warp drive. Here we go. Oh, holy moly. It's, it's uh, appeared in a few things. Okay. There's a mention of uh, Warp drive in City of Death. 
I'd forgotten that. It appears in... It might actually only appear in two classics, City of Death and this one, but then aside from that, it appears in a whole bunch of New Who. Fear Her? What a classic. Uh, <laughs> Ascension of the Cyberman. Um, oh no, another classic. Um, the Twin Dilemma and Earthshock. Two classics, in fact. Very good. Fifth and Sixth Doctor. Yeah, so I guess there is a... It appears in a few places. Given that this is post-Star Trek, though, I feel like maybe they ripped it off. <laughs> yeah i mean there aren't that many years that are pre-star trek are there there's only a few years yeah i don't know when star trek started 67 68 something like that i, I had sort of mid to late 60s in my head but mm. yeah they, they would have had to get in early with warp drive naming if they wanted to stamp it as their own <laughs> yeah definitely and who knows maybe star trek ripped it off from someone else as well maybe based on some far-flung um real life science i don't know maybe yeah okay my turn here we go where did doc go off with the lioness uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's never heard of again. <laughs> Which is such a total no. bummer. Such a bummer. I mean, this show is a massive sausage fest. Up until in part three, all of a sudden the lioness shows up. My only note there is like, mm, that's more like it. And then we get to see nothing more of her. It's like Doc shagged her to the point where she couldn't walk into frame anymore. <laughs> oh, dear. I kind of let me see if I can find find notes around it. Like, I mean, I looked her she, up. Cause she does she save him from something? I feel like like she appears at a very opportune moment. It's like he follows the first lion chap uh, through. <laughs> I've got them down as Paw Patrol, by the way. He he follows <laughs> he, he follows <laughs> Paw Patrol one uh, through the black and white castle footage, like the green screen black and white. Footage. Like, wh- why even bother? Why not just either shoot on castle grounds or make it like, have regular coloured photos? But it doesn't matter. So it's black and white, and Paw Patrol just disappears. He like fades out of view, and Doc's going like. <gasps> Oh, shit, I don't know what to do. I followed a lion dude here. And then all of a sudden, this, let's face it, fucking smoking hot lioness chick shows up. (laughs) And just like, hey, take my paw. (laughs) And that's it. And then they walk off. And then cut two, he's just hanging out on his own with K9 and, you know, just chilling in this castle. We don't know where she is. It's probably like showering forever. (laughs) Yeah, I, I literally only have two notes about Lion Lady. It's like, oh, a Lion Lady. And then a few notes on, has Lion Lady taken Doc to the past? So this is when he first goes to that banquet hall. Oh, yes. The people are there. So she basically leads him to that banquet hall, I think. Mm. And then buggers off. You're right. You're maybe right. she sat around the table. I don't know. Oh, maybe she is. Maybe I'm being really racist towards Tharls and I didn't recognize her there. M- maybe you're right about that. But I feel like you have cast a, a, an actress... You have uh, probably subjected her to hours of makeup. And she looks awesome, by the way. Like, the lion costumes, they look great. Well, I mean, I say great. You know what I mean. So (laughs) you have put her through all of this stuff, but you don't give her a single line. And then, I mean, why not just give her the other speaking part? Yeah, because there is a sort of second barrel. Yeah, there's uh, the um, (laughs) Phantom of the Porpora. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, why did that not make it into the intro? (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, him exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I feel like it's such a waste. I looked her up, by the way. She's played by Erica Spotswood. She hadn't appeared in many things. I think she was in like two TV series besides Doctor Who and one film. Uh, and, and that was it. So she, I mean, her career took her elsewhere, you know, or she she chose a different career. Yeah. Either way, total total waste of 
acting talent and waste of hours spent in a makeup chair. Yeah, very weird choice. Yeah. I still have some questions. Oh, okay, yeah. Hit me. Oh, uh, people subduing other races, masters into slaves, slaves into masters. Uh, discuss. <laughs> <laughs> a nice uh, light topic. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> nudge a little bit <laughs> with the toe. Okay. Yeah, this is pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? I mean, it, it doesn't, they don't delve super deep when it comes to the uh, culpability of the Thorals, but they yeah. have a sordid past as uh, despots, and then possibly through their own subjugation, they have become reformed, and now all they want is to save the other Tharls. It's not like they want to pay back society for the damage they've done. It's not like they want to find the humans that they've somehow subjugated in the past, because I guess there are humans in this world, but they want to they want to save the other Tharls. Yeah, they don't have grander schemes. Of they still have a castle, by the way. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's an interesting concept. I absolutely agree. It's an interesting concept. And I think they managed to kind of skirt the line reasonably well of not having to delve into it too deeply. Yeah. Like sometimes you feel like with the bigger topics, they they kind of don't do it justice because they just scrape the surface a bit. And it, you know, it can even come across as slightly offensive if you don't give it its dues, you know. And the whole topic of, you know, slaving other, other people is a massively, you know, hot, dangerous topic to to write into a storyline and risk not giving it its dues. Um, but I think I think they just about managed to make it a, a top level discussion because you don't see a lot of the subjugation. You don't know the ins and outs of everything. It's just sort of like both both races, the humans and the Tharals. Yeah, they're horrible. Anyone's wa- yeah, I don't think anyone's watching this thinking, ah, oh, when they did slavery, it was good. But when they did slavery, it was bad or, you know, or no, absolutely like not. It's like slavery bad. OK. <laughs> OK, I mean, I, I've got I've got a couple of follow up questions regarding exactly this point. So are these humans... First off, these humans, they are from N-Space, right? They are from our universe. I believe so. I, I get the impression there aren't any humans that have grown up in E-Space. They've all come there from N-Space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's my impression as well. So then, question two. Are these slavers representative of humankind in general in the future? Are they basically just criminals? I, to be honest, don't understand exactly who they are, how they're there, because... I think there was some statement that you know, they're only there because the Tharals brought them. But how did they then rebel and get into the situation they're currently in as slavers of the Tharals? So the Tharals, they can travel between E-space and N-space. Or as in, they can travel back and forth. They have that control. So I wonder if maybe... Uh, what was his name? What's Paw Patrol's name? Uh, uh, Baldrick? You know who I mean. Rock. Birok, yeah. Um, so the main guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, do you think maybe he brought them? He deliberately brought them to this little pocket universe because it is the seat of this castle of the gate, so that he could start his escape plan. Quite probably. I'm trying to remember back to the first episode what they were trying to do. Like, I mean, as as we established in the Beast Gal, he's he's like their living navigation device. Yeah, he's basically like the um, uh, what are they called in in Star. Trek, the tardigrades, the you know the spore creature dudes in Star Trek Discovery. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, a similar kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, so it's like it's a living creature that naturally exists on a different plane, like 
in a different dimension, if you will, and if you plug it into your ship, then suddenly your ship can take advantage of its natural ability and also travel across this plane. Yeah. In that regard, it's it's pretty interesting. I, I mean, I almost feel like Star Trek Discovery ripped off this serial. But, okay, I've got a follow-up question about that. Isn't their ability to be able to travel through time? Isn't that what they say? Apparently, yeah, they do. So do these slavers, can... do human slavers travel across space and time and just kidnap people there's no time travel in this episode or in this series i mean there is time travel obviously between the fixed time periods that we see but i forget actually because the, the scene when romana comes out of the tardis and the the human fuckwits are outside <laughs> and she, she leaves adric inside and like goes off and say i'm gonna do this signal which is a kind of akin to i'm gonna do a really big stretch and then pretend i've been arrested oh it <laughs> is the worst signal the least yeah. discreet signal ever exactly <laughs> but that that whole scene i'm pretty sure she's openly talking to them about time travel i right? think both space travel and time travel yeah yeah don't they even go like oh wait hang on so where's your tardigrade spore creature if you can travel through time she's like no no i've got all this tech blah 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 i can do all this stuff they are slave trading criminal shit nuggets why aren't they just hijacking the tardis why aren't they also just going wait hang on our ship has a hole in it. Can you fly around? Your ship does not have a hole in it. Can you take us home? And they want technology, but they never go, oh, wait, this robot dog is following us around. Maybe we can strip it for parts, or maybe we could, you know, we could sell it. We could do something with it. They just throw it. <laughs> not happy that they kick and throw canine. No. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, oh yeah, well, let's maybe put a pin in canine. A, a metaphorical pin, obviously. Wait, hang on. There's still, there's still something to discuss. <laughs> about, about the slave trading, I'm, I'm sure. It's the big question that maybe you were getting to. If they have these Tharol in as their navigation devices, mm -hmm. and the Tharol can travel through time, and the Tharol can travel between N and E space, yeah. why? Maybe it wasn't even in E space. Maybe it was in N space, and it gets and stuck it just, in his pocket. That's, yeah, that's very, very true. That's incredibly possible. Is it, is it ever said that they were in E space? I, I guess hmm. not, no. I mean, if they, they are humans. I looked them up, and they are definitely listed as humans so maybe they just travel through end space and this weird pocket universe the micro universe that exists outside of space there is no space and no time there it's just this is the gate this is the gateway between the two universes yeah because otherwise if they're stuck in e-space like the tardis crew are yeah the question would be why aren't they using the thorough to get back to end space surely if you're a shit fucker nasty human who wants to trade in everything and just be rich beyond your wildest dreams or whatever their grand's goal is i don't know doing it in end space is going to be better because east space seems very sparsely populated <laughs> yeah true but maybe they don't even know about that if they've never been to east space but isn't it a thing that the thorals they themselves without the aid of technology as in if they aren't plugged into a spaceship they can travel between the universes they can walk through that weird mirror thing which by the way loved it but oh, yeah, i loved that too but only they can so a human being can't walk through the mirror you have to be a thorough or you have to be touched you have to be time sensitive to do that and regular humans aren't time sensitive that's why they need all the hardware so even yeah. if they have a thorough on board the only way that they can get back to their regular regular universe is if the thorough cooperates and steers their ship navigates their ship back to end space yeah quite possibly i mean i guess that's maybe the reason how he manages to escape is that he's not fully under 
under their control. Yeah. He maybe puts up with traveling around in end space a bit, but as soon as he gets a little bit of wiggle room, he manages to escape and would never consider taking them between different dimensions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, follow-up question. So, okay. they can travel through time. The This is a natural segue, I feel. They can travel through time, the, uh, what are they called? The, the Paw Patrols. And they have the three iterations of their gate that exist at the same time. Like, at the end, they go into the castle that existed before... I guess before everything went to shit for them. So aren't they already safe? Like, why would Romana, K9, and uh, I can't remember if it's Paw Patrol or if it's um, Phantom of the Pauper, but why would they need to go off to save people, save other Thorals, if there is already an iteration of the castle where all Thorals are safe? Is this back to the aspect of they actually now recognize that they were real shits back then and they don't want to save them as real shits? They want to save them now with consciousness clear i like that that's a very nice nice take on it yeah maybe i don't feel like that's necessarily answered in this serial and i may have misunderstood by the way but i like that as an interpretation i also i don't know i'm not quite buying that it was real time travel in a way like that i mean especially with the effects that they give us like you've you've said like the black and white stately home garden that they walk through and like walking through a mirror and everything's all a bit you know wibbly wobbly there's like i think there's one scene of maybe it's every time they walk across that you know white barren landscape everything's a bit kind of like out of phase and you see like after effect of like the the character walking you can see their previous positions sort of like you know it's it's not like linear time it's not like a real environment and I, I wondered the way Doc interacts with Birok in the past as well. It's like that character Birok seems to be aware he's a version of himself that is a slaver and a version of himself that's from the future that knows that this is bad at the same time. I don't know. It seems it seems that weird. That is true. Kind of... Yeah. I mean, when they're having a conversation and the the only other woman in this entire serial. As in, we have Romana, we have the Lioness, hubba hubba, and we have one, like, castle wench. <laughs> yeah. In that scene, is it Birok? It's someone just, like, punches her. Or, like, you know, slaps her out of frame. But that is the same individual. I think it must be Birok. But that is the same iteration Not of sure. Birok who is also aware of having, like, grown morally from that point yeah absolutely like i wouldn't know for 100 it was him that slapped her but it's, it's him that justifies it verbally yeah yeah exactly i'm i'm pretty sure that's birog like maybe we are being a bit blind to the the feral lion features but... no you're right you're sorry you're right it's the guy who sits next to doc and that is not birog but birog is there he is there when it happens yeah and he, yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty sure he's the one that verbalizes it and he verbalizes it in a way that i don't know you you kind of feel like he's talking about his past at the same time as it being his present yeah. In a way. I don't know. Yeah, told my lords. So yeah, I'm I'm really not sure if if you could say they could have saved them, he puts air quotes, <laughs> in that period. Like maybe they could do the oh I'm gonna do my usual drop of red dwarf where uh, <laughs> here you, we go. <laughs> you go back, back in time and you take you've got a you've got a point in time basically where you can take someone back through with you perhaps. Like maybe you could save them one by one and that 
fashion. Right. But I don't, yeah, I don't know if they can just go, ah, they exist in that time. They're all okay. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, or whether they can even change events. I'm not sure because, you know, we see the, the robots come in and start attacking. And our point of view, obviously, we get Doka Romana being flung immediately back to the present, whatever present means. And those events have unfolded. Like people got killed. Those robots stayed around in that banquet hall and cobwebs felt, filled the place. And mm. yeah, I don't know. Love it's, it's it. sort of saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do not understand a hell of a lot about this serial, but I love the the kind of the emotion, the atmosphere, the the drive throughout all of it. Yeah, that was seriously like I I, re- I rewound that scene because I I did not understand what had just happened, and I do not understand what happened after watching it after a rewind and it being replayed at the start of the next episode. <laughs> but I don't actually care. It was just wonderful. <laughs> I, I agree. Okay, can I ask another follow up question to the whole? subjugated and subjugating individuals Mm. here. The humans who are subjugated by the Tharls in the past in that castle. Are they humans from end space? Are they, you know, us? I assume they must be. Again, I think we only have this one reference somewhere. I, I don't think I have a note about it. So that they brought them. They brought the humans from end space. Right. Okay, so that means... I, I think you're right, by the way. So that means the Thoral, they went into end space. They, like, they live in between the universes. They go into end space. They pick up some human slaves. They come back into their little pocket universe where they live in medieval times. The slaves somehow (laughs) have access to technology, build an army of robots, stage a revolution, then take over, and and then travel around in giant spaceships made from collapsed dwarf stars, (laughs) which they use to enslave their former captors. What? What are you talking about? It's clear as mud. <laughs> I mean, did you ever watch Battlefield Earth? <laughs> you know, the Scientologist nonsense thing with John Travolta, regardless, um, and Forrest Whitaker. So it, there you have like human cavemen that learn how to fly jet fighters. But th- that's already pretty extreme. But there were jet fighters, like there were fighter planes in Battlefield Earth. Here, there isn't an army of robots. It's medieval times. <laughs> How do you, from nothing, build an army of robots <laughs> as a servant in medieval times? So I don't know the exact answer <laughs> to that, I must say. But my my impression, and I think Tardis Wicker slightly confirmed this, when I, cause I was looking up the Gundam, which is the name of these robots. Yeah. Because um, I felt like it was uh, one of these anime things, which is actually Gundam or something. You know? Right, yeah. I think that's probably what I was thinking of as well. It sounded very familiar. Yeah, and Tardis Wikia explicitly says they can warp timelines and aren't affected by the time winds. Mm-hmm. So effectively go between the gateways, I think, is what that's saying. And that was kind of the feeling I got, but I didn't didn't really have an explanation in like what anyone said or anything. But it felt like those robots had been built from the future to then go back to the past to free themselves sort of thing. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a bit of um, Bill and Ted logic going on there. Okay. But that still presupposes that the human slaves who live in medieval times and are not themselves time sensitive were able to travel into the future somehow to pick up these robots. Or I guess 
guess I mean they escape, go off somewhere, uh, have their own civilization, and then come back and free themselves in a different way. I I don't know. Oh, I guess that's possible. It's like it, okay, let, let's remember to do this in thirty thousand years when we've <laughs> developed to the point where we can build an army of robots and have mastered space and time and interdimensional travel. Let's do, <laughs> let's not lose sight of this to do item, guys. <laughs> Guys and one girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, if um, whatever the race is called that builds deep thought can remember to go back and check on it in seven million years' time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <In H-races. laughs> they, they can come back after 30,000 years. <laughs> I, I guess, I, you know what, I guess what you're saying, it, it, it holds up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have to do things that just never disappear from your to-do list? Yeah, and I swear <laughs> to God, I mean, I, I hope my manager isn't listening to this because there are definitely things on my to-do list that have been there for 30,000 years, it feels. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk the okay. human slavers? I mean, without necessarily contextualizing them as slavers, should we talk about the, the humans in this one? Okay, yeah. Shall we start with what might be a diverse topic? The, um, the duo that I dubbed Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> oh my, that's such a good name for them. I love them. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> They're the serials Gunstoff and what? No, what, yeah, what's uh, they called? <laughs> uh, Unstoff and Garen. Unstoff and Garen. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because there was definitely a point whilst watching this last night that I went, if this were an a Who Back When audiobook, then Drew and I would play these two non-plus janitors, like no doubt. <laughs> I think I think I had a little bit of a roller coaster affair with them, to be honest. Like I did not like the Statler and Mordor thing. I didn't understand how that was in an episode of Doctor Who. Like <laughs> if the rest of the episode had been comedic, then it would have been fine. But nothing about this really was comedic other than those two characters. Yeah. And that always bugs me. I, I think you kinda like it, but um I yeah, I, it, I know, I'm sorry. I know that we differ on this. <laughs> I mean, didn't we have a a similar clash when it came to the... Uh, wasn't there a Time Lord? I feel like there was a Time... I can't remember which serial this, there was now. There was a Time Lord, like, mechanic. Oh, no, I loved him. Oh, oh okay. Oh, good. Oh, thank goodness. All right. Time Lord? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I can't remember which serial that was. But, yeah, he was great. It was in the Key to Time ser- uh, series. Oh, it's, yeah, was it the last Key to Time one? I forgot yeah, maybe. Called, but, yeah, yeah, that dude. He was cool. Okay. Um, it's, it's more, I think, for some reason, they love to do them as duos. Yeah, I love Generally, it. when there's a duo... <laughs> And they start they start trying to be funny. <laughs> my eyes are at the back of my head. <laughs> oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like I say, like if, if the rest of the the serial has some comedy in it to like not make them like an island out of an otherwise, you know, trying to be dramatic production. I yeah. don't necessarily Although to be fair to this one, I think actually they are trying to put in humor with most of the scenes with the humans in general. I don't think it ever landed though as far as I was concerned. I don't know how you felt about it. I mean, I don't think it did necessarily. Did you get the impression as well though that they seem to be intentionally making like the human crew like a shambles and like the commander was always kind of like having to say things twice or someone would give him I think at one point someone said like Who, who's got control of this thing and someone piped up I was like uh, I think I have and I was like you think? <laughs> like, <laughs> Which could have been funny but I don't know. I just, I've never found any of these things funny. Yeah I, I think there's a um, there are almost three tiers to the humans there's the the captain I, I, that's Rorvik right the, as in the guy in charge and then there's everyone who they're putting up appearances they're trying to seem slightly more professional and capable than they really are and it's largely for Rorvik's 
benefits. It's because they sort of fear him. And with all mm. right, because at one point he pulls a gun on them. And then at the lower end, there are these two, Aldo and what's his called? Royce? Is that his name? Aldo and Royce? Who are like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of these insane human slave traders. And they couldn't care less about anything. They couldn't give half a shit about about the human agenda. But they're also terrible people. Like, they're, they're lazy, they're incompetent, they are uh, immoral. Um... I, yeah, I, yeah I, I mean, I don't really know how to answer the question. I, I feel like they're just, they are all the flaws of the humans portrayed in a slightly more humorous way. Because, I mean, they're perfectly happy to sacrifice a Thoral. There's that horrible electrocution scene with the Phantom of the Porpora. That's because of them. That's because they just go, oh, who gives a shit if one of them dies? We can always throw up another one. I think this is possibly why, like another reason why I didn't like them, though, because I, I think the intention with the writing is that they're meant to be the most likable and they're meant to have some kind of conscience like they are talking about reluctance to do these things but ultimately they do them and i think yeah later on when they have to awaken all of the feral which is through the same mechanism like yeah this kind of electrocution to the brain i don't know, I don't know yeah, how to it's horrible inter- interpret what we see to be honest yeah they they don't try and stop it in any way they just don't want to actually do it themselves so they leave the room yeah yeah and it, you can't say these are good characters no they're definitely not good characters looking to you know yeah um but i feel like there's an intention there of saying they're not wholly bad and it's just like hmm Give us a bit more than that, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I I think you're completely right. There's another element to their character arc that clarifies that they are not within the frames of this serial good guys. And that is the fact that they don't survive at the end. Like, all the good guys, they escape somehow. You know, Doc escapes in the TARDIS, unfortunately, with Adric. Roman and K9, we still need to address that pin, escape into the, the castle grounds with... Phantom of the Pauper or possibly with Paw Patrol. And that gets the good guys out of the way. Everyone else explodes and implodes at the same time, including those two. Yeah, very true. And they yeah. don't even get like a final frame of, you know, they, they don't get a farewell line. They don't try. There's no open ending to their their fate. It's not like they run into the in through the gate and we don't know what what happens and we could maybe hope that they survive. And I think that's because they're actually slave trading shits. <laughs> Yeah, true. Which is interesting, actually, because I I thought they were going to get that because when they have this this device, they call like the M M Z, is it M Z, whatever. I don't know the the big uh, oh, the parabolic weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they've got that inside the banquet hall at one point, and Doc does the most terrible escape ever by just kind of like slowly backing it up, and <laughs> they're all all the humans are stood around going, "Oh, we can't possibly shoot him because we might shoot this big dish." Um, and then two seconds later, he's obviously walking out of the room and. Still <laughs> <you>. Anyway, <laughs> but that's nice when when he goes like, "Oh, it's on automatic," and it takes them a full yeah. minute to go. Wait, it doesn't have an automatic. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually like that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, at that point they go. I think they go and chase chase him so they're all outside at one point and then they decide to try and like basically turn the device off or something I don't know or or use it to do whatever they want it to do which is like shoot the mirror and the two what are you saying their name 
names are Aldo and Royce? Aldo and Royce. Yeah, I've just looked them up, actually. Aldo and Royce. They elect to stay outside because they think it's too dangerous. And yeah, an explosion of sorts happens and everyone comes out covered in dust. But I I thought that was going to be the point where all the other humans get killed and they survive. So it's interesting that they kind of, they did set that up, but it didn't have the payoff. And then ultimately they get killed with everyone else at the end. Yeah. Which is also, by the way, an ending that I don't fully understand because that's meant to collapse the universe. But we still see the white void. We still see the gate where it is. It's it's been blown up, but it's still there. Like the, it's in even greater ruins. And the spaceship is there, also kind of not really blown up, but it's there. And then we just get to see, you know, Paw Patrol ghosts walking out into the gate. Oh yeah. So I was like, well, yeah. well, what's the big fucking deal then? Like, you could just have blown up the place in the first place if all you needed to do was just to explode, you know, to to detonate the spaceship. Detonate the spaceship, man. Like, how difficult can it be to blow up a spaceship? Surely can't be that difficult. <laughs> Paw Patrol was like a free agent for a long time. He could have just run in through the hole in the hull and you know pressed a few buttons or you know smoked a cigarette next to the warp coil. <laughs> And then, (laughs) boom, every human dies and his friends are nice ghost lions. They can walk back home. I guess maybe was the tricky part that all his friends were on ice so to speak, and they would have been blown up as well. Oh, but so they had to be awake. Okay. Maybe, because if they're awake, then they can phase out and they don't they don't get blown up. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, giving them a bit too much leeway to explain it. I've, I feel like they didn't explain the opposite. So, so far, you are on the safe ground, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about Rorvik's incredibly theatrical final laugh delivery? Is this after his monologue to the yeah. doctor that disappeared <laughs> <Yeah>. already? <laughs> In the... Uh, oh, I need to pull up the transcript again because it's so freaking good. In the transcript, when I was looking at this last night, it is literally transcribed as... Like, great. <laughs> wow. That means I'm, I'm just going to look for boah. Yeah, there it is. It's actually not as long a dialogue as I would have thought. I was expecting like a whole paragraph. I know. You're so right. It's just, it's a, it's a line. Take this time with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of hated that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's where the lily livered dead weights line comes from as well. Uh, because you, yeah, there's nothing even to the audience's imagination. You know doctor, the Doctor has just disappeared. Yeah. We know that Robic is saying these lines to no one. Oh, yeah, Tolts Malotes. And it's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> How about we address those pins? Okay. Do you want a, a canine-shaped pin first? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like there are two pins, both of uh, whom are the shape of my heart, you know. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you did you know uh, that this was going to be the farewell episode for Romana and K9? I did not. Nor I. I was totally blindsided. Same here. Yeah, and I have issues. <laughs> I don't know how you felt about oh, it. Oh, well, let's um, hear them. No, I, I also, I mean, it's way too abrupt for starters. Yeah. But yeah, no, please, talk me through it. Here, uh, lie down on this couch and tell me how you feel about it. <laughs> I'll just take some notes. <laughs> well, I think okay, it all started when I was about seven years old. Um <laughs> No, I I just don't I don't understand 
how Romana came to the conclusion that she just had to stop traveling. Like, I watched this last episode and Marie was in the room, had not seen the rest of the serial. Yeah. But, like, we had a quick discussion on if that's the, the normal way that, you know, companions leave in classic. Because in New Who, companions tend to get very dramatic storylines about when they leave. Yeah, they, they know, certainly get the entire, at least an episode that's dedicated to them. Yeah. And, and they're left in some weird state a lot of the time. I think Martha was the only one we could decide is left, like, as a normal person back on Earth. Yeah. Everyone else is, like, in a different dimension or has got knowledge shafts in their head that if the wrong word is said, that it might explode or, you know. Yeah, exactly. So always kind of, where classics normally, from what I have seen, maybe you can correct me on this, it's a bit more kind of like, ah, you know, I'm just dropping you off here or, okay, you don't want to travel anymore. You've yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I've car. had enough. I'm going to I'm gonna stay on Earth or, you know, I, I fell in love with someone. I'm going to stay here. Yeah. So in that sense, it's not particularly out of the ordinary, I feel. But the start to this e-space storyline they were going to go to Gallifrey and this is the first as far as I'm aware the first seed that you know Romana might leave yeah. is that she really doesn't want to go to Gallifrey or if they do go to Gallifrey she might be basically assigned somewhere else and she's not in the TARDIS anymore yeah true but then you know, to go from that is like okay Romana might not get to stay in the TARDIS if they go to Gallifrey to we're currently stuck in this entirely alien dimension which is a you know it's a hard term to use alien when you're talking about Time Lords because they obviously interact with alien species all the time but you know this is another universe entirely i would rather stay here with this weird kind of traveling option i've got than go back to my own universe and see if i can work out some other way of carrying on traveling yeah yeah, you're right do you think maybe part of it is because of um k9 so k9 is not going to function in n space but he will function in wherever they are he will apparently function behind the mirror yeah as in like he functions in the castle for example in the castle on the castle grounds there he's fine yeah i didn't understand that either though because they explain the healing like doc has hurt his hand from the time winds and they go through the mirror Birok says oh now you're on this side you'll you'll find that your hand has been healed romana puts her hand to burn guy's face yeah and it heals him and then Birok says something like you know, canine will only be healed on this side of the yeah it's i mean the mirror that is just... such bbc convenience it's like Birok may just as well have said oh actually we have bbc executivium uh, you know over here there's bbc executivium radiation that will only allow canine to exist on this plane which will not continue on the tv show it's just such an element of convenience to say oh for some reason a different logic applies to you the recurring character than to this character whom we are writing out of the show yeah so i i i I don't feel like that makes sense but i feel like it doesn't make sense for blatant reasons the romana thing really pisses me off more those two had been friends for a long time like that character would never have left so abruptly never no and if the lion dudes if paw patrol can travel between dimensions then surely romana could just go listen I sympathize with you. Let's meet up in N-Space. We're going to do our thing and we will bump into each other in N-Space and, you you know, maybe I'll help you out then or maybe we'll help you out then. This seems like the kind of cause that Doc could get on board with as well. Yeah, 100%. I don't know. Yeah, it's just so many questions. Like, I mean, it's very obvious they just didn't write her out very well. I don't know. Maybe we can segue into trivia land if, um, if there are appropriate things. But I feel like... This story was just written and then her leaving was kind of tacked on in a way. Maybe there was a time frame. 
frame you know, expedition for some reason. And, you know, Lala Ward left before they planned her to. I'm not so sure. it wasn't her choice. She did not want to leave. I'm basing this on, on a, a couple of bits of trivia here. So okay. she was not in intending to leave. She was deliberately written out. And she also was very, I mean, she really disliked this particular kind of character exodus. She thought it was too abrupt as well. The blame for this is placed on John and Nathan Turner, not Jonathan, John Nathan Turner. This is now a quote from one of the one of the trivia sources. I can't remember what this was. Uh, he didn't want the series to turn into a soap opera, end quote. Th- that can maybe partly explain why it's so abrupt. They didn't want a schmaltzy farewell between these characters, or, or John Nathan Turner didn't want a schmaltzy uh, farewell uh, between these two characters. But I wonder if it also maybe has something to do with the relationship between Lala Ward and Tom Baker. Because as we have been learning over the past, you know, several serials, the ambience on set was not great. Like, it seems as as though mm. the just the atmosphere on set was horrifically strained and probably everyone who wasn't either Lala Ward or Tom Baker was was caught in the crossfire and didn't want this and felt that it hampered production and if you're going to keep one of these two actors around then it's obviously going to be Tom Baker because he's the title character so maybe that's another reason why JNT cut her out. Yeah possibly I don't know. It's interesting actually Wikipedia has mention of this as well saying that um she actually requested to leave earlier. Oh, really? Um, but she was kept in her contract. So, but it is mentioning Nathan Turner. Yeah. But, I mean, perhaps there's a bit of sour grapes all around. Um, yeah. Uh, like you say, it, it must have been interesting on set with a couple that um, are going through what they were going through. Like you mentioned before that they they were seemed to be on very rocky grounds, and then something united them, and suddenly they got married. Is, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> um, I think this yeah. is. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is before them getting married. And according to a different piece of trivia I found, they were also fighting during this serial. <laughs> so, I, right. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it really doesn't seem ideal. Adric, like, is it the hatred of Adric that united them? I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, it was the hatred of Adric. And I think that was part of trivia associated with the previous serial. So maybe yes. during this whole thing, they're coming together because they loathe Adric. And then they're probably coming together even more because one of them is being forced out of the show but fucking Adric is still there. Like, that must be... It must be... <laughs> must be like rocket fuel for their romance. And <laughs> <laughs> but then they're also fighting, presumably, because, you know, Tom gets to stay on. And, and so, I mean, I'm speculating, but um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's just it's just an unfortunate ending. I feel like we probably said this for Leela. We probably... Oh, I, I think definitely said it for Sarah Jane. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if the ones before that, but it's, yeah, it's a shame that you can't dedicate... Like, half of the last episode it doesn't have to be like an entire episode just a significant chunk to a companion that's been around for a very long time like long enough is just played by lala ward but when you factor in mary tam is is, is that Uh, yeah mary tam yeah exactly so so there wait hang on when did romana first show up i'm heading over to whobackwhen.com check it out podcast land go to the vindex and the companions section romana let's find romana one Romana 1. Yeah, oh, yeah, of, uh, sorry, of course. Rebus Operation. That's C098. 98. Wow. Yeah, we're now on 14. Uh, sorry, 114. That's 16 serials, man. Sorry, 17 serials, including this one. Holy moly, yeah. That's, uh, well, two, two and a half seasons as well, I guess. Yeah, that's a, that's a shit ton of content, and they're just 
throwing her by the wayside, which is a real bummer. And K-9 also gets, I mean, stabbed in the proverbial back. Uh, I mean, first off, yeah. gets hit by some time wind, which blows his circuitry, so he's, like, barely capable of communicating. He's, he's certainly not capable of interacting with the plot in the way that he would normally interact with the plot. Gets kicked around and thrown around by space slavers. <laughs> gets abandoned on the wrong side of a mirror by his master. It's horrible. And then doesn't even really get a goodbye from the doc at the end. He's just, like, stuck in some weird black and white photograph of a country estate with yeah. the wrong Time Lord. Ugh, it's a real bummer. It, it definitely is. And it's also, like, begs the question, what was Doc going to do with K-9? Because he throws K-9 to Romana because he's like, oh, K-9 will be okay here. He's like, well, what state was K-9 going to be in if you took him in the TARDIS then? Yeah, you, you, you couldn't repair his memory circuitry or whatever it was. But don't you have a fucking box full of K-9s? Like, do, he has a gigantic <laughs> room full of K-9 box sets. Like, it was in, you know, Ikea kits. He could just build himself a new K-9. In fact, in fact, later on in New Who, he does build a new canine and give it to Sarah Jane. Yeah. It's, it's just really shitty. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for these two characters. Yeah, me too. It's it's not the send-off that they deserve, yeah. um, which, is a, which is a shame. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting, actually, the trivia around Zeeson, who obviously voiced canine, because we, we know that he, he disappeared for a while. And uh, as, as I'm reading on um, Wikipedia, he only came back with the knowledge that he would be written out again in this series. So he, he saw signed on for a very short short window i guess oh that's a bit of a bummer as well but you know it's, it, it, it strikes me as just really weird they knew these two characters wanted to go and they couldn't give them a better send-off they couldn't write a special storyline for them they had to hack it in to something yeah yeah agreed yeah and the fucking <laughs> shit on the top of the cake to make the whole thing even worse <laughs> oh i'm so looking forward to this all right <laughs> What do we have left in the TARDIS? Oh, fucking Adric. All we have is Adric. We don't have anyone to steal the lines from him, to to buffer him in any way. It's just going to be him now. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> really not a fan of Adric. I, you know what? I had once again forgotten about Adric. In, among my part one notes, in all caps, I have written, quote, fuck, I forgot about Adric. <laughs> like, and this is the... How many times have we had this is the third time that we've had an Adric serial, right? He was there from the get-go of, yeah. I was going to call it the key to time, but yeah, the East Base trilogy. So that's how fucking memorable this guy is. God, I, I really dislike him. Although, I will give him one cool scene in the serial, and that is in, I can't remember which part it is, but it's the, it might be part four, actually, part three or part four, uh, where he is sitting atop the parabolic. The slavers are threatening Doc and K-9, and they're like, we're, we're going we're gonna to shoot all of you, and then all of a sudden just pan around to Adric sitting atop the parabolic going, well, I don't know what these buttons do, but this thing is pointing at you guys. I did quite <laughs> like that scene. Yeah, I guess it was alright. <laughs> it's okay, I will undo that straight away. In part one, where K9 has been blitzed by the time winds, Romana is trying to repair K9 with, you know, some of the myriad K9 repair kits aboard the TARDIS, which you're so right, Doc could absolutely have used. But she enlists the service of Adric to help her, and she goes, Bring me a box, and then just. Crash, boom, bang, fucking Roxette album. Adric heaps a whole box worth of fragile sci-fi gizmos onto the floor. 
<laughs> you can like you can hear yeah. every single one of a kind piece of engineering break as he does this. And like Adric, I hate you. I just hate you. <laughs> you massive dick. And I say that ironically because you probably have a tiny dick. Oh, <laughs> got it. Let's let's whip through negatives about Adric in your notes. I can start with Adric can't even toss a coin. <laughs> <laughs> Spotting a coin motion is just like, oh, it's vaguely in the air. It's not even flipped around. I'm putting it on my wrist. You know what? I don't I don't have... A, I'm looking through... I've got the, oh, Adric threatens to blast their nuts with the parabolic. That's like the only Adric note I have. Uh, I'm, I'm going through my notes. I've got like uh, cliffhanger one, cliffhanger two, tits, um, another gate I've written. Oh, okay. All right. Here we go. You know what? This is worth a soundbite from part three, 12 minutes and 10 seconds in, Adric can't pronounce rescue. He goes, but I've rescued you. But I've just rescued you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Screw you, Adric. Yeah, I was listening. That's right. (laughs) Maybe I don't have that many, actually. I have no one in episode one. Again, we're flipping a coin. Like, he just flips a coin and presses a button on the TARDIS. No, fuck off. Don't just press random buttons on the TARDIS. (laughs) I think the the thing with K9 and like the mass detecting was kind of okay, where he, he takes one of K9's antennae off and moves it further away to get a better triangulation. But also, if that's the only way K9 triangulates stuff, that means K9's shit, and I'm not buying that because K9's awesome. Yeah, I also I agree with you. I also think that K9 is capable of detecting mass and potentially even different life forms from a distance. Maybe that'll appear in a in an audiobook at some point in the near future. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but I see your canines. What was it called? The what do you call it? The mass something mass detector. Mass detector. And I raise you the human's mass detector, which was amaze balls. Which was it, it looked like a space heater stuffed into a baby Bjorn. Like the, <laughs> the, the, the dude is like walking around with this massive gadget, and he's doing so. And halfway through, he's whilst doing so, he goes. Actually, this thing is by no means accurate or reliable. <laughs> and they still keep following the reading. I, I love it. And that it had a little printout thing. That was great. Very oh, good stuff. Did, yeah. yeah, good stuff. <laughs> do you know what we should do in this review that we didn't do in at least the last review? What's that? <laughs> Insert cliffhanger <laughs> theme here. <laughs> Jim does some cliffhangers. <laughs> Okay, I, I can do that for you. Okay, for the uh, one and a half people out there that actually care about this shit. Episode one, we end with the robot armor people. Well, one of them coming to whack Doc on the head. Mm. <laughs> whack. Whack. Yeah, I actually didn't mind that. It's one of those ones where it's obvious he's not going to get smacked on the head with an axe. Yeah. But I super loved those robots. Th- they are great. Yeah, we, you're right. We didn't talk about these robots. They are fantastic. The design of them is really good. They look vaguely, vaguely Japanese. Japanese, and according to the trivia, they were originally going to be called the Shogun. Ah, okay. Hmm. Yeah, they had a familiar twang to them. I couldn't really think what it was, but I guess maybe it is that. This is the helmet uh, looks kind of samurai. Japanese. Yeah, hmm. yeah, I get you. So, yes, as alluded, obviously, Doc doesn't get smacked on the head with an axe. He spots, I think, the robot armor guy in the mirror and dodges out the way. Yeah. So that's how that resolved in episode two. And episode two's cliffhanger, we get, oh, well, before the actual final thing we get some first person views of lion man and romana i'm guessing this is the burnt 
guy. Ah, Phantom of the Porpora. Yeah, who may or may not be called Laszlo. Hey, his sure. name is, yeah, you're right. Uh, his name is Laszlo. Okay. Mm. And then the cliffhanger is that it looks like he's going to attack Romana. But no, he's actually, as resolved in episode three, going to free Romana. I, he's, I have theories about this. Oh, okay. Okay, so, I mean, first off, it is so incredibly obvious that he is going to free Romana, right? Like, there's yeah. there's no way. She is chained to the, or not chained, but, you know, she's cuffed into this chair. Uh, she's wearing the headset. By the way, same headphones that have been used as props in two prior Doctor Who serials. And we've called this out on Who Back When at the time as well. It is uh, Planet mm-hmm. of the Spiders and the Green Death. I will finally put together a photo collage of these headphones being used in now three Doctor Who serials. It's fucking I can amazing. Picture the Green Death. I'm trying to picture the Spider One. Okay. I, I think the Green Death was one that I reviewed with Nick. There's a dude there who's definitely wearing the exact same headsets. Like the BBC just has this one headset, and every now and then they go, "This headset looks badass. Like let's just use it. Let's incorporate it in a different prop. Whatever." Anyway, so it's very clear that she's, you know, she's helpless. She's not going to be murdered by a lion monster. (laughs) But he does go for her face. And he only doesn't go for her face when she looks at him and screams. Do you think that he is actually just a gross perv? No, I think it's just a shit cliffhanger. (laughs) Okay, okay, cool. All right. (laughs) Just checking, just checking. They could have stopped it like a frame earlier where he's just reaching out the hand, but the hand is going towards her arm to free her. Yeah, that's true. It would have looked menacing if, yeah, but... Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You're right. Yeah, show the hand from her point of view. Oh yeah, even from her her point of view. If yeah. you do that, and like it's it's approaching like annoyingly slowly, more slowly than anyone naturally would, especially someone who's in a rush because they're escaping from a slave ship. <laughs> but <laughs> do that it's way busy. more effective a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, we're in agreement. <laughs> Oh, the final one in episode three we've talked about already, actually, because it's the robots crashing the party and Romana grabbing Doc and somehow they just like beam into the present which like i said i did rewind it but i didn't pick up on the fact that no i I think i think it is clear that the end of episode three romana is in shot putting her hand on the dock today i think i don't remember that i only remember the i I was just so incredibly smitten with the hard cast or not the hard cast actually it's a it's kind of a very brisk fade from brand spanking new axe to cobwebbed rusty Mm. old axe I completely missed Romana's hand on Doc's shoulder. It's one tasty meatball. (laughs) It is a tasty meatball. I had meatballs for dinner tonight. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, weird. And they were tasty. Thank you for not asking. You're welcome. Okay, wait, hang on. Is that the that's the last cliffhanger, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, that's a interesting cliffhanger that doesn't really need a resolution. It's just something happened. Yeah, which is which is fine, I think. Yeah, the, absolutely. It was a lovely way to end that episode. You can ask a couple of questions about part three before we hit this cliffhanger. There are two things that I don't fully get. So first off, actually, one we've kind of discussed. Maybe we've maybe I do get this now thanks to this review, but at the time I didn't really get it, and that's just Doc and now I realize it was Birok. I just want to point out in my notes, I refer to him as what's his main. They were walking through the black and white footage of Castle Grounds. And I, I just wanted to make a note. It's very, very Twin Peaks. It's super duper Twin Peaks. It's certainly like Twin Peaks season three, Twin Peaks The Return. Though all of a sudden, oh, whoa, where are we? We're in a different dimension. We're walking around. This exists in parallel. Very creepy stuff and very cool. But Romana and Phantom of the Porpora do the same thing. But when they do it, they, they don't walk through a mirror. They suddenly just touch palms and fade out. 
So how did she know to do that? No idea. Does I don't, this ring I don't a bell? The, the touching palms thing. It happens with the doc as well. It does. So. Yeah, you're right. In part four. I think previously as well. I'm not sure if that was... Is that what the lady lion did? Does she do the palm I thing? I don't think so. I think the lady lion, like, they literally just... She takes him, or he takes her by the paw, and then she leads him straight to her bedchamber. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Like, I think they just walk out of frame and then we don't see anything. Like, maybe a few minutes later, he just appears out from around a corner and zips up. But there's no, like, there's no funky fading. But it just seems like it's something that Romana and, you're right, later on, Doc as well, just know that they can do. Which is super odd. The shit. Can they just fade on their own? Do they need a Paw Patrol for it? No idea. I, I do not understand the ending of episode three, like like we have established. But it's lovely. All right. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Right, Rooney. You got anything left? Some nice production value. The gate itself is beautiful, especially the fact that it's in the middle of nowhere, like it's in the middle of this white void. It seems like such a nice prop because it's so very clearly a prop. They don't have to disguise it as part of a castle. It's just something in a white void. Yeah. And likewise, the ship miniature I thought was absolutely stunning. I th- all the miniature stuff was really good. We've got a miniature TARDIS, we've got a miniature of yeah. the gate, and then all of those explode apart from the TARDIS. Yeah. All of that was really nice. I think it's quite a savvy thing actually to make a void that is just this white flat plane. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just light it quite well. You don't have to worry about other things looking out of place or anything. All, all very nice. Done. I quite like the industrial feel of the spaceship as well. Like Also, yeah, you're right. We get that get that quite frequently. I think there was one of possibly in the opening shots where we were looking underneath like a metal gantry that I really felt could have been the gantry out of the one that the Wirren was it um Oh yeah, uh, Ark in Space. space? Yeah. yeah. I remember you know we were we were obsessed with that set and how lovely those walkways were and stuff and I felt felt like that could have been the same walkway but from underneath but who knows. But yeah, there's loads of like frames like metal frames and ladders and all kinds of weird shit going on in the different rooms we see in the ship yeah yeah that all looked freaking amazeballs we even at one point talking about production values had a very rudimentary 3d tardis like inside the eye of um paw patrol yeah it's pretty cool like for 1981 like we're, we're now in 1981 by the way we've, we've crossed oh. into oh sweet chris oh happy new year yeah that that's not bad that was quite impressive yeah and they they definitely know how to use their green screen now they uh, they give it a full-on workout in this series <laughs> <laughs> there's even a green screened coin toss yeah <laughs> in the very beginning and it just works <laughs> yeah yeah so unless uh you've got anything more to add shall we go and rate this dude oh let's do it let's do it and now it is time to rate this did we laugh or hate this bing bong bing bong hey la 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 ratings Leon shoved his finger on his nose, which means I go first. I did. <laughs> I think, as with a lot of these things, it's a bit of a mixed bag. What I have been missing from some previous mixed bag serials, though, is I got carried along with the production and the atmosphere and I don't know what exactly. But yeah, I was, I was I'm a lot more engaged with this, this storyline and... I don't know, just the feel of it. So, I mean, along the kind of production side, we've got, like I said, the the kind of nice industrial sets. We've got this white sparse, I think probably only exists as miniature. Oh no, we do we do have the life size gate. There's a lot, obviously a lot of green screen things that are going on. I think actually they were doing them really well, though. Just slightly weird green screen walking around the stately homes gardens. Oh um, yeah, yeah, you're right. There are some nice like bits of like someone going around a corner of uh, a hedge or they walk up and down to get onto the right level for you know what looks like the the picture 
you know, not groundbreaking things, but just like kind of nicely done bits. Yeah, talking about those white planes where the models exist, those models are gorgeous. The spaceship in particular, but the gate itself. I mean, if you're going to name a serial after an object, you should damn well make sure that object looks good. And it did, which was nice. And also those robot warriors, I, I, I thought they were pretty incredible. There's a lot of detail in them. And we see some close-up shots of the, of the heads. And you can see that there's a sort of skeletal robot face underneath it as well. Like, yeah, it, you're it, right. Beautiful. A lot of detail going into that. And I like the way it was shot. I think, you know, I, I, I talked about the opening scene. And there's there's some trivia about the production which we didn't actually uh, get onto. This is all according to Wikipedia is the thing I look at. But this is what seems to be the one and only time the director, Paul Joyce, ever worked on Doctor Who. And he seemed to be doing a lot of new things, trying new things, but probably not with a production timescale and budget head on his shoulders. More just a kind of artistry. I want to shoot this way. And everyone's like, uh, no, dude, we don't do that. We don't point the camera <laughs> at the ceiling. See all the lighting bricks, you know. <laughs> but I think that might be, you know, the reason for why this feels a bit different and it's more interesting. Oh, okay. But potentially is also the reason why, why things might have fallen apart a bit. And, you know, he actually apparently was asked to leave the production at one point and then was brought back in at the end. So another director directed some of this serial. But I, I genuinely feel like that's possibly why, uh, yeah, the production value seemed higher was because they had a different director who had a different vision. Hmm. So, uh, you know, it wasn't quite so stale as some of the other recent classics perhaps have been. Alongside this kind of positivity, I think the storyline itself was was interesting. I also don't claim to understand all of it. Yeah, the, the whole idea of a race of creatures that are being turned into navigation devices effectively as... As you rightly pointed out, Leon, this is something that's been done only a year or two ago in like a new thing, Star Trek Discovery. It maybe it exists in other other media. We've maybe, yeah. Aware of, but yeah, it's it's not a unique idea, but possibly this is the first instance of it, or it's certainly not done very often that I'm aware of. Yeah, so that's a, that's a lovely idea. The idea of one race subjugating another, and then the other race breaking its chains and then subjugating the first race you know that's a really interesting con concept and just playing with the idea that like no one's good effectively like but not necessarily is everyone bad either yeah those are those are interesting things did they all play off to the best that they could have done probably not but yeah good stuff what i didn't like was the comedy really um, oh interesting oh okay because <laughs> we just got the two characters yeah <laughs> and there's another trivia thing here i apologize for delving into trivia in my review so much but i Go i only really just kind of like digested it all but apparently again as we see all the time with these classics the scripts were written and then rewritten and someone else had a hand in changing stuff around and the original script as delivered it sounds like was quite a comedy episode and then they intentionally oh, really? tried to take the comedy out and so some of the dialogue is meant to be funny, but it's delivered straight. And I think that's exactly what I felt. Like, it felt like this was trying to be funny, and it didn't come oh, across interesting. correctly. And yeah, it's because they didn't rewrite it. They didn't rewrite it. They told the actors to perform it straight, but didn't rewrite the script or anything. So yeah, for me, that just didn't work at all. We left with the two duo characters who aren't significant enough or don't have enough to you know bat against for the comedy to to work for my my enjoyment really and you know rounding that off is really i didn't enjoy probably any of the human characters at all like that entire crew is just staffed with horrible people and they don't have redeeming features in the slightest but they're not even like nice to hate as it were like they're just shit <laughs> 
and of course we have to mention the fact that this is the last serial for K9 and Romana and as we have already said it's not a great send-off it's a real shame it totally came out of the blue for me and it would have been nice to get a bigger time to explain why they're doing this to have some farewells it doesn't have to be soap opera fuck you whoever thought this would be soap opera to give time to a yeah the showrunner yeah a character you've molded developed created like why why would you uh, not want to you know give them a nice send-off so that's it's it's a bittersweet thing it's you know it no it's not it's just bitter <laughs> <laughs> so i find this i find this quite a, a hard one to put a number two in a lot of a lot of respects because come on <laughs> i did and it's why I'm waffling so goddamn much. <laughs> I did enjoy it. And I, I think I want to like it more than I ultimately do. Like, like to me, it probably is a really middling episode. Like, it could really probably just hit a 2.5. But I think it's going to stay with me a bit more. I think there are ideas here that were bubbling away all, all, all the time. So I've, I'm bumping it up from that mediocre ground just slightly to a 3.2. 3.2 from Jim K. Oh, nice one. <laughs> okay. Apologies for such a rambly long review. No, no, that was great. I, really good trivia as well. Actually, on the trivia note, before I jump into my, uh, my little mini, let's see. Uh, this was written by Steve Gallagher. Uh, Steve Gallagher, well, it, it was allegedly written by Steve Gallagher. Steve Gallagher also wrote one more serial. He wrote Terminus, which is a Fifth Doctor serial. It is the Fifth Doctor versus the Black Guardian, from what I can tell, which looks badass and sounds mm-hmm. badass. But the reason I say it's sort of allegedly written by him is that what I found in the trivia was that the director and the the script editor, script editor Christopher Bidmead and the director Paul Joyce, that they apparently rewrote it so incredibly intensely that Paul Joyce has, on at least one occasion, claimed that it is very largely his script and that he should have received the writing credits and not Gallagher. So, sorry, Gallagher. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of sucks. But yeah. I'm not convinced it was fun to work on Doctor Who back in 1981. I don't think so, no. It's like, oh my God. This serial, by the way, sounds like it was kind of the, it was the Scottish play of Doctor Who. (laughs) So you had all these... The writing turmoil, I mean, the thing I just said, like, oh, so there was a script and then it was rewritten by at least two people, but then apparently it wasn't perfectly rewritten because some of the comedy is in there, but it's played straight and it's kind of shit. They had, okay, here are just a couple more issues that they had. Sorry, this is also uh, trivia stuff, but you mentioned the sets, the spaceship set. I agree. It is gorgeous. Guess what it wasn't? It wasn't okay with (laughs) their insurance. So there there came a point where they could only have so many people on the upstairs bit of the sets, which completely fucked up their production because they wanted more people in different parts of the spaceship. They they weren't allowed to because it was against their insurance policy. Uh, Another thing, this also coincided with a BBC carpenter strike. So they couldn't have carpenters build sets and (laughs) mend sets. Like This is a horrific time to be working on Doctor Who. Also... The two leads are constantly fighting and one of them is being kicked out and hates her final appearance on the show. (laughs) (laughs) And she's being replaced by another companion whom both of them hate. So, yeah, it's not a fun place to be. (laughs) Doesn't sound it, no. (laughs) But that being said, you know what? I feel like the end result is kind of positive. I'm going to segue neatly into into my mini here. Okay, you know what? 
I'm going to bullet point some of the beginning here. So here are a few of the absolutely awesome concepts that I love about this serial. We have the parallel gates, as in the gate that exists in different time periods in parallel. And I love all the special effects associated with it. I'm incredibly impressed by the fact that there is such a thing as space slavers and that the BBC dares to touch upon this subject. And, you know, obviously bring up the morality tale at play there with, you know, the the slaves being reformed tyrants themselves. I love the concept of time sensitives. We kind of have it in New Who, but it's never really touched upon. Now, I think we maybe even have a term that we can use to describe people in New Who. Every time we watch a New Who episode and we go, do different rules just apply to them because they've traveled through time? I think we now have a term for that. Like, they are time sensitives. Mm. Um, I love the idea of time and space contracting within this dimension that, or within this universe. The fact that they're walking back and forth and every time they walk back, it's shorter and quicker than it was walking there. You know, it, that's a really cool idea. You said you hated the comedy about this. I'm sorry to say this. I love the comedy about this. <laughs> Don't be sorry. <laughs> there, there, there are some there are some fun characters. There's quite a bit of slapstick. Although there wasn't a good human boss to hate the crap out of, just as you said, I found it hilarious how bad a bad guy he was. Rawick. By the way, Rawick very nearly played by Derek Jacobi. Bit of no way. Better. Yeah. As well as, oh, you know what? I'm just going to grab that piece of trivia. Uh, as well as a chap named Robert Hardy. You know who that is, right? That's okay. I didn't either, but I looked him up and he played uh, Cornelius Fudge in Harry Potter. So there you go. On the subject of comedy and, and slapstick, we we also, uh, I mean, we've already talked about, uh, what are they called? You know, the uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, uh, Royce and whatever his name is. But also, also, K9 bears much of the brunt of the slapstick, and although like I feel for K9, I kind of thought that it was a bit fun in this one. The fact that he gets thrown around. I, I'm like, I'm angry, but I'm also entertained. But perhaps also one of my absolute favorite edits, favorite cuts in this entire serial is the following, and that is perfect slapstick. It is... It's two cuts, in fact, sorry. First off, we have an action scene between Doc and the Gundam robot, and the Gundam swipes his sword or whatever it is, and cuts Doc's... I want to say the Doc is carrying a a spear, maybe? And he cuts it in half, so he's just holding a stick, like a broken stick. We cut away. A couple of minutes later, we cut back, and Doc is holding, like, 12 broken sticks. And it's just, I think I probably laughed out loud when that happened. It was just wonderful. I love that. And Tom (laughs) Baker's face work, everything about it was absolutely perfect. I'm going to give this a round off. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm rambling as well. So plus points for Great Lions, Gundam Robots outfits, some very solid doctoring, and the fact that every part of the spaceship wobbles. Minus (laughs) points for the incredibly abrupt departure of the upper 66.6% of the companions. The fact that a bunch of things just don't make sense. And the fact that every part of the spaceship wobbles. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, no, there are so many other things I want to mention. Sorry, I'm not ready to go yet. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fun detail. I loved that when they cut to the cobwebbed castle and all the space dudes are there, one of them is drinking from, like, a space Capri Sun. Like, oh, really? <laughs> like, Wow, you 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 added that as a prop. Like this is what people in the future drink out of. It's so nice. I like it. It's like a little transparent Capri Sun. They went to the trouble of going. Oh, it's a, it's a space Capri Sun. They also went to the trouble of saying, "Oh yeah, it's a space phone." So we don't have anything more sophisticated <laughs> like a 
like Star Trek communicator. No, just, just grab that phone and pay it itself. Is that the <laughs> the phone that isn't wireless? It, it's a phone with an actual like the twirly oh. cable that's on stuck to the oh, door. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that. How can you not be completely infatuated with that little element? I love it. Oh wait, hang on. Shit, that reminds me of another slapstick scene when one of the dudes. I can't remember who it is. It's Something with a P, or whatever his name was. Shit, I'm never going to remember. I'm looking it up. Packard, I think it might have been Packard. Whoever is about to walk through the door, and he calls up to Royce or Aldo or someone else, and just goes like, close the door. And they close the door, and you just hear him scream like, after I've walked through it! (laughs) I like that. It's it's good stuff. (laughs) Anyway, I'll offset all of those positives with one tiny little negative-ish thing, and that is just the question of, why is there always medieval shit? Like, if you have to mix times, it's always medieval times. Doesn't matter. Doesn't sway me one bit. I love this thing. I'm giving it a 3.6. Nice. Boop, 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 doop, 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 doop. 3.6 from me. (laughs) (laughs) And we are keeping our positions in rating scores so to categorically say you love the eSpace trilogy more than I do (laughs) clearly absolutely (laughs) clearly (laughs) shall we see what the rest of podcast land thought about this oh my goodness oh we must we must (laughs) let's do it to the listener (laughs) to the listener (laughs) minimobile Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Holy moly. That's the standard surprise for when you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven listener minis. What? That's absolute insane bananas. Love it. it (laughs) Thank you, Podcast Land. Yeah. Thank you for the treats we are about to receive. The first comes in the form of a mini from Stephen from Canada. Uh, What up, Stephen? Hello, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Let's get into your review. Finally, the TARDIS crew gets the FRE. (laughs) But first, a trip through the void. Lara Ward is on top form in this one. Her verbal duel with the three men investigating the TARDIS was incredibly satisfying. However, it was not to last. Romana and Canine's melancholy departure is certainly a more fitting end than what most other companions get, but it does feel tacked on. Adric is, well, Adric. Sort of useful, but really is given nothing to do. The absolute apathy the Doctor and Romana show towards him certainly doesn't help his case either. (laughs) True. As for plot, this story has it in spades, with a trippy tale of traders, I mean slavers, the juxtaposition of past and present and both races of slavers as the mystery unfolds is amazing and fits well in this psychedelic sci-fi story. In terms of production value, this story has plenty, says Stephen. Sound design on the robots was fantastic. The three gateways are one. They don't sound anything like that. Uh, (laughs) Chills, I tell you. Sets and models are incredible in this one, and with such variety. From spaceship to haunted castle, they all look great. And overall, says Stephen, this story earns a what, Leon? 4.5 broken doctor fingers out of 5. Holy moly. 4.5. Huge heart from Stephen right out the gate. Very nice. Yeah. And a solid mini. 
I'm not even going to single anything out. Agree with all of it. Nice yeah, one, Stephen. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Who we got next? We've got Mr. Ed Corbet. Corbet. Hello, Ed. <laughs> Corbett. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh, hang on. What's the Prince song? my red Corbett. It's the red. It's the Ed Corbett. <laughs> Okay, I'll find the actual print song, and Ed, you may have a jingle coming your way next time. What's <laughs> <laughs> <Almost> his promises? <laughs> well, how does Ed start his review? He starts it just like this. This is Romana's story. As much as it can be, considering it feels like it wasn't originally conceived as a Doctor Who series. If the TARDIS hadn't turned up, everything would have happened as it did anyway. Hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Possibly. <laughs> Wait, isn't this Indiana Jones thing? Anyway. Adric does nothing. The Doctor does next to nothing and finds out he'd have been better off not doing even that. <laughs> the special effects were basic but conveyed their point. You could tell that the Tharrells were supposed to have some sort of extra temporal quality. They also look significantly better than the Cheetah people from the 1989's Survival. I did look them up. I looked them up after the uh, whatever the me episode was called and uh, yeah yeah a hundred percent agree ed a hundred percent these are way sexier <laughs> that is what you're saying right ed i'm pretty sure that's what you're saying <laughs> i'm absolutely sure yeah <laughs> on non-lion people topics ed continues with the supporting cast acting was average but they got across the idea that they had been stuck there for months with their sense of despondency and ill discipline rovik's final maniacal laugh was unenthusiastic but not entirely his fault it was out of tone for the piece and he shouldn't have been made to do it this serial is about inevitability and also tries awkwardly to squeeze in randomness which then goes nowhere but it's being too deep for saturday prime time it tries to be clever but nothing happens in it and saying inertia is one of the stories themes isn't good enough it still has to be entertaining oh i can tell where this is heading <laughs> oh, yeah. and ed is concluding warrior's gate has a place as a piece of drama just not here if his concept had been used for a late night indie sci-fi film it could have been a cult classic like dark star but they made it into a doctor who serial aimed at families so it's not and oh, wow. that leaves us with ed's rating of 1.9 oh i mean i completely understand where you're coming from ed <laughs> I don't know if I agree with you numerically, but yeah, no, I, I get it. Very good. Good stuff. Hang on, I need to look up what Darkstar is. Do you know what this is, dude? I don't know if I do, actually. Darkstar, sci-fi movie from 1974. I don't know what this is. I have not seen it, but I absolutely have to. It looks incredible. Yep, I have no knowledge of that whatsoever. Rad. Okay, thank you very much for putting it on our radar, Ed. Nice. And thank you for your mini. Yeah, thank you, Ed. Who we got next? We've got Chris Damps Paddock. What up, Chris Damps? Hello. Why, hello there, Chris Damps. Thank you for sending in another a lovely mini mm -mm. and it starts just like this the second least comprehensible classic who story after the seventh doctor story ghost light <laughs> i love this to bits it's deliberately obscure but it's also wrestling with complex ideas and the substance is there this story is worth re-watching to really understand what was happening I love the zero point blank space they inhabit. Green screening with no image added is a truly brilliant idea. And it really feels like they're wandering in, out into perilous nothingness. 
<laughs> Chris House continues, I also love, love, love how the story plays with time. After all, this is happening at a point where linear time isn't happening. And so, of course, events happen out of sequence. And I love how the story has time-sensitive characters. In some ways, when Who starts messing around with timelines, it makes you wonder why this doesn't happen more frequently in a story about a being who can travel in time, in brackets or caps. This should be happening all over the place. Yes, here's my friend who agrees with me. Romana's send-off isn't great. It's not bad, and I wish there were more to it, but I think Lala Ward was happy to be done with the show by this point. And as for Adric, at least I forgot he was in this story until I just rewatched it. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> and what does Chris Tapps give this dude? And uh, Chris Tapps gives this... 4.2 out of 5. Dang right he does. Oh yeah, very nice. <laughs> good shit. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you so much. Holy moly, resonating with a lot of stuff in here. Okay, who's next? Why, it's only the Zoonmeister himself, Peter Zunich. What up, Peter? Hello. Hey there, Peter. Peter... From the comments last time, I gather most people aren't fans of this episode. I don't get it. It's extremely artistic and deep in the techno babble. Sure, it drags slightly and Doc has less to do, but he's so enjoyable. And Romana is so perfect that it's mostly forgivable. Bonus, Adric has little to do and K9 does. I understand some may call it a cheap cop-out, but I love the artistic use of the sketches for the keep. It wouldn't work in any other setting, but in a land between universes? Sure. The comic relief duo deserves their own series. Yes. And Rorvik is fine until, well, until he's not. <laughs> There's your friend. Okay. <laughs> Peter continues, I understand it might be only second in abstract thought to Ghostlight and full of Tony the Tiger lookalikes. <laughs> but that's not a reason to dislike it. It's a reason to watch it again. So I can only conclude that Rick Mayall said it best in The Young Ones. The only reason you don't understand our music is that you don't like it. That's not me trying to do Rick Mayall. I couldn't. People don't like this one because they don't take the time to understand it. Me? Asks Peter Zunich rhetorically. I think it's a great conclusion to the eSpace trilogy that sparks the imagination and a decent reason for Omana and K9 to leave, albeit yet another rushed send-off. She's grown up now and it's time to stand on her own. Maybe not the most exciting and don't invite the Gundams round to dinner, <laughs> but I rate it a mirror image of E.E. E. Oh, 3.3, I take that to mean, Peter. Oh, very good. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> Very nice, having them make us uh, gauge our brains to work out what your rating is. <laughs> I think I approached this the same way as Peter did. I'm almost willing to bet that you did as well, Jim. Did you also have the impression after, not last week's, but two weeks ago, that episode, the previous episode, that this one was going to be terrible? Yeah, I think mostly because Adric was in it and it's still eSpace. And yeah, there, there was hints from yeah the... Uh, from the minis, group. right? Yeah. And, and now in hindsight... It might be true. I can't remember now. Is it true that this is the the worst one of the three? I feel like the first one's the worst one of the three. In my books, definitely. Yeah. Right? It's certainly not as good as the second one. Th that's a given. I disagree with that. Yeah. In my books, the first one was crap. The second one was a bit meh. This one's good. Interesting. Oh, I love the second one. Oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> oh, I, I, I just want to have a really dirty weekend with the second one. It's so good. <laughs> 
Anywho, thank you very much, Peter Zed. Yes, thank you indeed, if we had not said it enough. Okay, next up, we've got Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor. What up, Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor? <laughs> Nick gave us a, a lovely note about how our podcast has managed to keep him sane in tough times, which we are absolutely overjoyed about receiving such, such messages. I'm so happy that we can feed all the brains out there in podcast land and distract or entertain or whatever you need us to do yeah and by the way yeah. likewise podcast land like if it weren't for you it, this is uh, uh, <laughs> see nick this is what happens if you include a schmaltzy intro to your mini we're all gonna get schmaltzy about this okay <laughs> so this is all on you nick <laughs> but seriously podcast land like this has been a really weird year and it, if it hadn't been for you speaking only for myself i certainly would have dug myself into a hole somewhere and covered myself in jam i mean you know, things would have gone weird. Wait, you didn't do that this year? I thought... <laughs> that was last year, last year, last year, dude, last year. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, no, no, four years ago, Trump, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Brexit. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, right, okay, sorry. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's return to minis. <laughs> okay, yes, returning to minis, Nick's in particular. <laughs> Nick starts, one of the classics. Oh, yeah, that's, that's more Score. like Score. <laughs> <laughs> It's a culmination of the E-Space trilogy, and we say goodbye to Romana and K-9. <laughs> a real shifting of the elements of Doctor Who. This is my favorite period of classic Who. The story is enigmatic, incorporates time travel in a constructive way, and the psychic wolfmen, Farrells? Yes, Farrells piloting the ship, the time winds, etc. are great storytelling tools. The story introduces the idea of time sensitives into the universe, and the surreal nature of the story and the time elements really deal well and accessibly with great concepts of time travel and e-space. Romana is great in this one. I'm sad to see her go, and also K9, but it is a fitting end for them. In terms of the plot, it is rare when the Doc meets a race who appear to be his equal, or an unknown quantity, and this really comes through in the story. Adric is a Again, an absolute blot on an otherwise amazing <laughs> landscape. <laughs> but overall, this story neatly ties up the eSpace arc and is quite gripping at times. Visually, it is amazing. I love the white background void area and the castle in the middle, the idea of the gateway and then the maze beyond, and seeing Ramona and K9 disappear at the end is both sad and memorable. Holy moly. Nick gives this. 4.7! Yes. I really rate this one. No apologies from me, says Nick, and no apologies necessary. Fantastic stuff. Very, very oh, good. Oh, yes, definitely no apologies necessary. Yeah, excellent mini. Agree with everything except for the Wolfmen, because maybe I'm biased as someone named Leon, but to me they are lions. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with the lion camp. Um, right. Fantastic stuff. Thank you very much, Nick. Also, slightly wishing to push my rating up. Seeing <laughs> <laughs> all, all these fours out there, it's like, I'm nowhere near a <laughs> Who have we got next? Why? I believe it's that time for Michael Ridgway. 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 <laughs> well, hello there, Michael. Hello, Michael. Oh, my. Have you been working out? <laughs> sorry, I feel like we're making it more awkward and uncomfortable every week. <laughs> Very sorry, Michael. <laughs> I feel like it's just you, dude, but hey. <laughs> 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 you want to keep that track? It's fine by me. <laughs> Entertain. Gets in the viewers. <laughs> mm -mm. Uh, although I don't know what they're viewing. There's nothing on YouTube. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so Michael absolutely had a roller coaster experience here. Uh, we're going to try to relay it as best we can. Yes, so first attempt with episode one. Award for the grumpiest Starship crew ever. It is particularly striking watching this straight after an episode of Star Trek Discovery with everyone shiny, happy, and hugging. Yeah. <laughs> Next bullet for episode one. Likes. The hairy dude, the creepy time delay, the weird castle with the mirror portal thing, and awesome cliffhanger. Can't wait for episode two. <laughs> but, oh no, episodes two to four, we have one single point. Oops, we are currently experiencing issues playing your video. Please try again later. <laughs> for four fucking days. <laughs> All caps. Fuck you, Breadbox. $6.99 a month for what? What, I ask you? In summary, I hate Britbox. And rating, 0 out of 5. For Britbox, can't comment on the episode. <laughs> Followed, fortunately, by a revised mini from Michael Ridgway. <laughs> Which starts with uh, episode 1. Award for the grumpiest Starship crew. It's particularly striking watching this straight after an episode of Star Trek Discovery, with everyone shiny, happy and huggy. Get these guys a team bonding away day. Stat. Likes the hairy dude, the creepy time delay, and the weird castle with the mirror portal thingy. And then back into the now with episode two. Like the guy with the ridiculously giant tricord. <laughs> <laughs> Beef. Romana's relegation to a screaming damsel in distress. Again. Boo. Episode three. The single point being poor canine has taken a real beating this season. Episode four. Sorry, something went wrong. We are currently experiencing problems playing your video. Please try again later. Fuck you, Britbox. I hate you. I hate you. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry you had this experience, Michael. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we can only summarize the bits that Michael gave us and what he saw, which is some vaguely interesting ideas, the time ship navigated by giant hairy dude alien prisoners, and surreal dreamlike imagery not seen since Mind Robber, but still mostly dull. Maybe it all kicked off in episode four. Maybe. And he gives this a rating of 2.3 out of 5 hairy dudes being awakened slash electrocuted. Sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, holy moly, what a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to say that if he had actually been able to stream part four, it, that rating would have shot straight up. Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> I'm lying through my teeth. I feel like if he wasn't engaged up to then, it's probably not going to be a great one for him. But <laughs> I still hope he managed to see the last episode of this. Can people express their agreement or disagreement with Michael in any way online? Dagnamit, of course they can. They can find Michael at bad. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. <laughs> no more underscores. <laughs> it's really weird taking it from this angle. I love it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Michael. So big. Goodness. And last but not least up, we've got Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hello. Andy would normally send us a mini and a maxi, and we would read you the mini, and you would read the maxi on whobackwhen.com, because you're lovely people who like to visit our website. Absolutely. This time around, Andy did not quite have enough time to do the mini, and because we're in such a good mood, and Andy does such a good job at giving us these minis and maxis, we're just going to read all this out. Yeah, we're, we're, absolutely. We're, we're going to go for it. Let's underscore this as well, because Andy is a total chap. 
He's like the dude. Yeah. Totally oh, and also, Andy sent this in right before we started our minis. So it pays to get it in no matter how. Hey, oh. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> how did you hey, oh? <laughs> Okie dokie. Here we go. Andy's review. This is the one with the loss of a time lady and a tin dog. Extras from The Lion King and some murderous robots give us one of the strangest stories of classic Who. This story is more science-based and feels aimed more towards adults, or at least older children, with its slavery theme. Like State of Decay, it's also great to have another story with no maniacal villain. Lala Ward's portrayal of Romana 2 is absolutely brilliant. She gives Romana a real sense of being alien, and it's delicious. It's possibly her finest performance. She also gets plenty of agency, and it feels very fitting as it's her last story. Although her exit at the end feels a little rushed, at least there's no sudden romance with a previously anonymous character. Yes, thank you. Absolutely agree. Fair point, yes. A strong supporting cast helps too, says Andy. Clifford Rose is great as the irascible Captain Rovick, and Kenneth Cope, best known for playing the titular ghost in Randall and Hopkirk, deceased, gives some good comic relief. The model work is very good, especially the privateer, and the crew costumes gives a definite nod towards Darkstar, Hey, second Darkstar reference. Or oh, yeah. Alien. The music is great, especially in the opening scene. It lends a real atmosphere. Sadly, some sets don't stand up so well, and there's an awful lot of obvious wobbling. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> Another plus point, though, is there's very little Adric. Can I pop a yeah. teeny tiny bit of a, a trivia tangent in here before we jump into the rest of his, his review? Yeah, sure. The crew costumes... All of them, this is not me, this is TARDIS Wikia, or TARDIS whatever, fandom, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. All of them, ex-NASA uniforms. What? Yeah, like straight up ex-NASA uniforms. How weird. Okay. <laughs> Probably with some decals added here and there, but yeah, pretty rad, right? Yeah. Anywho, um, Andy isn't done. No, Andy has given us some boofs. The first one being, how does Birok know how to pilot the TARDIS? When the Doctor defeats the Gundam robots, one of them drops its axe on the Doctor's back with no ill effects. Yep. <laughs> True dad. <laughs> A very unpleasant case of VPL when Lane is climbing up to inspect the warp motors. And last, boof. Romana tries to stop Rawwick attacking the Doctor with the clipboard. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's a terrible yeah. scene. <laughs> And it continues. The production was beset by problems, most notably the director being fired and rehired. It led to him <laughs> never working on Who again, which, in my opinion, is a real shame. And mine too, Andy. Yeah, I agree. This story is one of those I never really enjoyed in the past. However, I may have to reconsider that now I've watched it again. It definitely requires you to watch carefully and pay attention. Overall, says Andy, this story is one of those times Classic Who was ambitious. And although there are flaws and things never properly accepted, explained it's an example of what it can do when it puts its mind to it i award this story 3.9 backblast backlashes out of five nice adding i'm finally getting something done <laughs> fantastic thank you very much andy <laughs> really good stuff thank you so much I believe people can follow Andy online as well. What, what do you think, Jim? Oh, I, I think you are absolutely right. If I was in such a frame of mind, which I often am, I would go follow him at Caffrey's 71. That's Caffrey's uh, what, Leo? 71. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks, Andy. Well, that wraps it up for Listener Minis and for Warriors Gate as a whole, yeah. But Doctor Who doesn't end here. There's more Doctor no. Who to come. There is more stuff to come. Obviously, in the Classic Channel, we will be next up with the Keeper of Draken. But before then, we are going to be exploring New Who territory in Face the Raven. A, a different caliber of companion exit episode, I would say. <laughs> not quite the ex- exit one, if I recall correctly. Oh, is it not? Um, oh, apologies. Well, time will tell. And in Audio Land, I believe there'll be something along the lines of Lucy Miller and To the Death. Correct, Amundo. Two audiobooks for the price of one, namely free. <laughs> <laughs> and bonus, there are some bloopers. They are posted out at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll, there'll be some bloops. The audiobook will have to wait until next year. Awesome stuff. If you've enjoyed listening to these two chaps jabber on about stuff, you might want to follow us on Twitter, although my live us really post a lot. Oi, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> easing back into it. <laughs> okay, go, go follow him. Go follow Leon. Where can they follow you, Mr. Leon? Oh, I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Follow me and then ask me if I'm going to change my handle. Yeah, yeah, ask him, <laughs> ask him, I dare you. <laughs> and me, you can follow me at Jimmy the Who, but I didn't really post anything, so it'd be a bit pointless. No, 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 it has a point. Podcast land, go to at Jimmy the Who, follow him, tell him hi from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? It'll That'll sway him. <laughs> I hope you had a wonderful time listening to us. We've had a blast recording it. And just look after yourselves out there and see ya. Yeah, stay safe. Seriously, a vaccine is like just around the corner. Don't don't get all hubristic on us now, okay? This is not the time to lose sight of things. So stay safe, stay indoors, wear your mask, be rad, be excellent. Thank you again for listening. Until the next time, ciao, ciao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?